Welcome to the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. My name is William Manklow and thanks so much for being with us. Now, usually we would have uh, Stuart the Wildman Mabbitt's voice on here as well. Today, it's just me. And the reason for that is I'm doing a short introduction to a classic episode. And what is a classic episode? Well, we like to pick every so often a re-release of a past episode for one specific reason. And today's reason is, or today's why we've picked today's episode is it was it's been the most listened to episode with a guest on there's also quite an interesting topic that we actually discuss quite a divisive topic within this episode as well originally released on the 14th of april 2020 we had the whitewicks rebecca and paul whitewick on the show to discuss varying topics including hs2 now, the Whitewicks themselves have their own YouTube channel, the Whitewicks Abandoned Railways, where they, 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 go, they travel across the country and uh, talk about um, industrial history, uh, especially around the railways, and do some really interesting videos. But this discussion, I think it was quite a fun discussion. I think maybe because we had a little bit of a different dynamic in the room because there was four of us, so Stuart, myself and the guests, Paul and Rebecca, uh, it just kind of created this very nice, uh, very interesting uh, dynamic. And, but it still allowed us uh, to really sort of delve into this subject, and especially a subject like HS2, like I said earlier, is quite divisive. So on with the show. But before I do allow you to go off and listen to that episode, uh, just a short announcement is that this show is going to go in front of a live audience. Known as uh, Environmental Debate Live and Unscripted, we've actually found a location to record or to be in front of a live audience. It's going to be on the 25th of September in a place called Body Vineyard in Oxfordshire. Um, just listen out for further announcements for how you can get involved. And so, yeah, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. Thanks for being with us. We debate three important environmental issues per episode with a special guest dealing with serious world-scale problems. And Stuart's already stumbling over his words already. Maybe finding achievable actions and solutions, but more importantly, keeping the issues in the public's consciousness. We approach each question in an open and friendly manner, as though we're sat together in a pub talking to friends, making the size of each issue not feel too insurmountable. Our ultimate aim is to take this idea on the stage in front of a live audience as environmental debate live and unscripted. So sit back and listen as the conversation unfolds. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. A way you can share a question you'd like us to discuss. Yeah, my bit now. Um, you, you can, uh, well, that's probably where we swap the intro around. Well, you're the one that's swapping yeah. it around. Okay. You can also find out more about our wider work at thepeoplescountryside.co.uk that we've just updated and will continue to improve over the next few months. What's the email, William? Oh, well, I don't do the email address. It's no. you that does the email address. Okay, what's the email? Is... Oh, it's thepeoplescountryside at William. Gmail.com. With no William in the middle? No, William, no. Just thepeoplescountryside at gmail.com. And we are the People's Countryside on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and at Countryside TV on Twitter. And what's unique about this podcast today, William? Well, there's normally three of us in my flat, but at the moment, well, there's always four because Misha's here somewhere, the cat. But there we have two guests today, and I don't know why my voice did that. 
So who are our guests? I was going to ask first, uh, what did you make of that intro there? Give us marks out of ten, because I think we did a solid five myself. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a seven point seven. Mm. 7.7? Yeah. Are you an engineer by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> he likes to be precise. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, what, is it? what do you reckon? Oh, I was going to go about a 7 as well, actually. Would you like to introduce yourself now, after you've given us a, a nice little <laughs> report? Okay, so we are Paul and Rebecca, and um, what do we do, Rebecca? We do YouTube. We do YouTube. One week's abandoned railways, that's all we do. We do the yes, we, we, we um, basically walk around the, uh, the country on old abandoned, disused railways and explore old infrastructure. I say railways, we do other bits too, don't we? We do old Roman roads, ancient trackways, but the railways are, seem to be the most popular, don't they? Mm, definitely. So. And that's where we met? Yeah, on YouTube. Is, isn't it? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we said, oh, this looks like an interesting tunnel with a nice story. Let's get in touch with these people from this. Um, it was, I think it was a newspaper article. Yeah. That we read. Yeah. And it said it had your details at the bottom. Sorry. Yeah, the Oxford Mail. Uh, that was. Who was that? Pete Hughes. He was our first guest on this podcast as well. He wrote that article. He did, yes. He did. That feels like a long time ago now, actually. Yeah. No, it was only two years ago. It feels like a long time. Mm. So that's how we met. So, um, shall we crack on with the first question and see how we go? Yep, by all means. And it's your question. It's you guys. Question. So, who, who would like to read out <clears throat> your question? <clears throat> would you like to take a word shall each time, like me? <laughs> 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 shall I go for it? Sorry. Okay, you go for it. Should we rebuild old railways or build HS2? So the, the reason why we asked this question is because when we when we were first speaking to you, we were actually in the process of making a film. Um, about that because our, on our channel whilst we don't try and sort of reminisce and walk around with rose tinted glasses we get hundreds and hundreds of comments saying oh this line should be open that line should be open um, but everybody's spending money on HS2 um, government spending money on HS2 instead of that we should be opening these old railways so we thought we, we would make a video on HS2 and we would try and find somebody that had a, a very knowledgeable engineering railway background yeah. and we, we found a guy called Gareth didn't we mm -hmm. and so yeah we thought well okay let's, let's make a video and let's, let's sort of challenge this really popular opinion on our channel of we should rebuild every old railway that Beeching and all those that before closed mm -hmm. like in the 40s 50s and 60s so yeah that's that's the reason why we can't that the, the big question so in your opinion should we rebuild old railways or build HS2 so it, it <laughs> So we made the film with, with Gareth, Gareth Dennis, and if you, you should absolutely check out Gareth Dennis on Twitter because he does his wonderful threads on railways explained. So we made, we made the video with him and we found the subject surprisingly to be a little bit like Brexit. Mm. It was as divisive a subject, divisive a subject um, that I could possibly imagine that it wasn't the B word. Um, and everybody was either massively for it or hugely against it. And so yeah, we, we learnt a lot because before we before we made the video, we knew very little about HS2. Mm. A few news articles, a few headlines, a few sound bites here and there. But that was it. And that, we, our, our education was was zero. And after we made the video, we, we became I wouldn't say hugely pro, but we were certainly had a much better understanding of what it was there for. More um, aware of the facts and the pros and cons, I suppose. Where did you find the facts? Um, well, were they? Because they were always buried under false oh, news. Like yeah, but the, the, the newspaper articles are, are generally things like 
HS2 is there to take 15 minutes off of a journey between Birmingham and London. And immediately, anyone in their right mind would say, well, that's ridiculous. Who needs to say, who is in that short of time, they need to say 15 minutes. Completely pointless. Uh, and that's generally the sort of head down the soundbite that you find. There's another soundbite, I think it says, um, the carbon footprint will take 120 years to pay off. And that's all you get, you get little sound bites rather than actually sort of digging under the scratch and the mm. surface and well, let's have a look at these. And yeah, so we listened to Gareth and um, sort of refuted a lot of these little sound bites. Mm. Um, so what, what type of objection, objections are you getting, are you hearing? Is it, is it to do more with the, the financial side of things or is there an environmental slant to it? What, what's the, what's the objection to It's a combination of both, isn't it? It's a lot of both. Environmental, yeah. definitely. There seems to be a lot of people saying, you know, it's going to ruin the environment and mm. destroy hundreds of thousands of ancient woodlands and things like that. But yeah, that, that's. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a number of different sort of angles to look at. So, so yeah, whether you look at the environmental side first. And again, we we aren't experts on this, so no, <laughs> no. we we bundle along. We've we've learned what we've learned along the way. Um, sometimes that's the best way. I think to sometimes see yourself as an expert. It, it can sort of put you on a pedestal. And some, if, when people also look at experts these days, it seems to be that they just don't even want to engage with them. So yeah. part of this conversation we're having today, none of us are experts in this room about this specific, specific well, issue. Very few people listening will be experts either. Yeah, so yeah, sure. it's to engage in conversation, yeah. engage in, and talk about it, and talk about the potential impact environmentally, and whether or, whether or not, I feel for me with HS2, it's almost that there is the environmental impact, but what would be the environmental impact if we didn't do it? If we allowed continual flights in within the UK, for example, that's, that's, that's one aspect yeah. to be looking at with HS2, I think. That's a huge question. So a really good point in terms of what, what would be the, the, the cost if we didn't do it. So where do you start? Um, so HS2, the, the biggest misconception is, is the 15 minutes off of your journey. The, the whole premise of HS2, and it's not hidden, because you go to HSC websites, you go to their Twitter feed, the whole premise is it's there to free up the existing network. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different analogies. The, 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 for a simple-minded person like myself, look at the London Underground. A London Underground, you can, you can go down to any station you like, and within a few minutes, a train just pops along, you get on, and it stops the next, next platform down. You can feel the breeze of the next yeah, one coming. Yeah, within yeah. minutes, they go, next train, two minutes, next train, five minutes, next train. They are very much local trains. They stop at every station. Try putting a regional train or an express train that needs to go from one end of that tube line to the other tube line and mix it in with all the local traffic. How would you do that? It would massively disrupt that one line. You'd have trains stopping, getting out of the way on loops. And that's where we are with our current network. You have local, you have regional, you have express trains um, that are trying to go from one end of the country to the other and you have freight trains and they're all trying to move on the same networks whether it's the East Coast Main Line, the West Coast Main Line, wherever. HS2's main job is to free up and take off the express from the current network and put it onto its, its own individual line and therefore free up and then you can shift so many more trains on one line. Because already on the West Coast Main Line, for example, there, there's capacity. There's, not, there's, there's no capacity or hardly any capacity, yes. especially at peak times, because you have so many services that are using, and it's four tracks, isn't it, that way? Even with four tracks, it still is pretty much at capacity. So yeah, you, yeah, you need so. to be able to have... It's a, I likened it earlier to a conversation we had off, off air of how the railways now 
very much like the road system was before the UK had motorways. So yeah. we're relying, it's almost like the railways are relying totally on a road and no motorways. What HS1 has done, which is great, and what HS2 will do, because I think people forget about HS1. Mm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's almost like they don't realise it actually is the second high speed line, is that it would take, like you say, it will take off so much, free up so much um, space on the conventional railway line. Yeah, and, and because of that, it has far-reaching consequences too. It's not just close to you know Birmingham, London, uh, Manchester, potentially up to Edinburgh, York. It's it's about the lines that go into stations like Birmingham Street. So someone says, okay, let's open um, a, a, open this old railway instead. Um, okay, so where's that railway going to go? Well, go into Birmingham New Street. We'll try and fit more capacity into Birmingham New Street at the moment. Mm. So it's, it has far-reaching consequences. It's a big Gareth, station, isn't it? But it's, yeah, it's, it's a very, very busy station. Yeah, hugely busy. It's a very narrow neck, isn't it? So you've only got maybe four or five lines going into about 20 platforms. So you, yeah. you can only squeeze them out, a certain amount into that station, can't you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think Gareth gave the example when we, when we chatted with him about it having an effect as far-reaching as Aberystwyth. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, he explained how that worked. And again, go and watch the video and, and explain exactly why. But So it's, it's not about getting somewhere from A to B quicker. The whole purpose of HS2 is to free up existing capacity on the network at the moment that we currently have. Well, how do you think that would actually, sorry Stuart, how do you think that would actually help the country meet its carbon footprint quota? Um, I, I guess, again from an uneducated standpoint, it would potentially help the, the shift away from the car to the train. And there's a hundred different ways that needs to sort of change to help that happen. But this is certainly one of them. The extra capacity, it's not just about sticking another three cars on, uh, coaches, let's call them coaches instead of cars, on a train. It's, it's about being able to put four or five times more the amount of trains on that bit of line and, and give it more of the underground shift in terms of the, yeah. the capacity on each, you know, each line. <laughs> just including you, just making sure you. No, this no, is what happens in our videos. I waffle like nobody's business. I just nod and agree. Right. Okay. <laughs> so your opportunity to say your opinion. You had the point to make earlier as well. Stuart. No, no, I was, that was that was your point. Yeah, <laughs> I, was to get, I was trying to include Rebecca a bit earlier. <laughs> no, I tend to just I agree with everything. Uh, it's, it's a it's a nationwide benefit. It seems to be to have HS two, and whether there is an environmental impact, obviously kind of gets outweighed by what could potentially take over instead of HS2. If we didn't have HS2, we'd need more motorways, we'd need more this and that to, and then that'll take yes. even more environmental impact. The more roads you build, the more cars there are. Yes, you know, as well, the, yeah. the, the traffic will exp always expand to the roads. Have you ever, have you ever, I went to, many, many years ago, I was in Los Angeles, and I was fab flabbergasted by how big the roads are. Yeah. Six or seven lanes, and they're all full. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like all the time. Yeah. There is no, there's no alternative. The, the public transport in LA is terrible, absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. So you have to drive. And it's also a very, very big place. It's probably about three or four times bigger than London mm -hmm. as a size. Probably bigger than that, actually. But yeah, and there's a massive environmental impact there, right, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody uh, sent me an email a couple of days ago who knew we were going to talk about this. And uh, they said, and we sort of discussed this already, is there a case for looking at both, looking at sectionally reopening some of the old lines and maybe not opening the whole of HS2 but part of it. He, he was saying should it be a mix, mix, mix match, mismatch 
Mi- not mismatched, but... Can I guess who that was? Who emailed you? Wasn't Ian, was it? Ian Brown? No. Oh, okay. No, it wasn't Ian Brown. Because he's been talking about it quite a lot recently. But there has been talk about the... Ian Bodger Brown, shall we say. He won't know who you were talking about if you calling him Ian Brown. Yeah, not, not the Ian Brown from Stone Roses. <laughs> it's, another, it's, another, it's another Ian Brown from the Manchester area, isn't it? Yeah. But um, he, he posted up, and I've seen a few more people post up about the... Uh, is it the Great or the Grand Central Railway? Great no, Central. Great Central, yeah. That, that's a really good point. About actually, it being, yeah. that being reopened. But there's, again, there's massive issues around that being reopened, isn't there? There's, yeah. So to, to answer got, the question, you can answer the question really simply. Yes, there is an argument for, for doing both. Absolutely. And the whole premise is that HS2 will help you do both. Because when you have that extra capacity in other stations, like the Birmingham Moose, example, mm-hmm. you have capacity to open other lines too. Mm. Um, For HS2 to allow that to happen, does HS2 need to exist in its entire form or just...? I don't know, but according to our friend Gareth, he says yes, it does need to happen in its entire form. Mm. I'm not going to say who asked me that, they didn't want their name mentioned. But the Great great Central is another great example because everybody who generally opposes HS2 says, oh, there's already a line in existence. And again, there's a lot of um, fallacies about why that would and wouldn't work. There's a big quote that says, oh, it was made to European loading gauge, which is not true. No. It's also not actually high speed. It, it was for the back in the day. I think if, if they opened it now on the same route, with tilt, the maximum speed you get out of the line is 125 miles an hour. Which so is that's the same as the, most, the lines we have at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to say, have everybody's been to, have you been to the Great Central Railway Preservation. Have, no, no. If you go there, you can see quite clearly that it's not major European gauge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bridges, gauge, the, yeah. the, the, the stations. Not. It's a great place to go to, um, but it, yeah. it, it definitely you can definitely see that. But it would, would be an option to maybe reopen that alongside, as you say, HS2 would be encouraging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think there's definitely a case for that. You know, there's lines local to us that we think, oh, that would be, and it, you know, so good if that was open. We, yeah. we're, we're we're certainly not standing here saying HS2 or nothing. How did you get here today? Just that question. You, how did you get we drove. here? We drove here. Yeah. Would you have had the, if you had the option to come by train? Would you have taken it? Yeah, the, the great example. And we gave that example in one of our videos actually. Didn't we? When we were travelling to Swindon from where we live. For you. Yeah. <laughs> where it, the journey by train would have taken us about two hours, twenty eight minutes. How many changes? Two, two changes. changes. All right. Um, and two changes is always a bit dodgy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Give yeah. How, how yeah. much is the, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, miss miss and that was it. That was a, the, the, the National Rail Inquiry's website giving us the, the, as you said, the tight changes. Yeah, like five um, minutes, and you go from one platform. Yeah, platform. Where's that? Like, no, it's not happening. Especially ready, mate. Yeah, and the drive was forty-five minutes. Um And that's a huge. Again, this will probably lead on to some of the questions we've got coming up in the moment. That was that's a huge, huge thing. Absolutely. Do we go by train? And we're looking at, I think it was an hour and 38 minutes yeah. here today, or do we have a car and it's under an hour? Um, I think it's a case of looking at the options and not just get stuck in a rut saying we're going to drive everywhere. No, we do tend to look, don't we? It's more difficult with what we're doing with uh, our YouTube channel, etc., when we're mm. out and about, because where we're trying to visit is in the middle of nowhere. So Because yeah. the, ra- the railway lines disappear. The railway lines are there, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can't get to many places that way. But, but yeah. if you had the option, if the railway trip had been an hour <coughs> or 45 minutes, that's an option for you to do. <laughs> then you can choose oh, yeah. whether you could drive yeah, yeah. or... or Oh, yeah, we, we've got a rail card, and yeah. like, well, we've got the, the app which gives us our, our two rail together rail card, haven't we? So, yeah. which is amazing, yeah. right? I've got two together yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and if you book in advance and use your rail cards, 
then that's when things obviously become a lot a lot cheaper if you can do that. So maybe that's an action for people to listen to right now is that it's very easy to, if you've got a car, to just walk out of the door and get in your car and drive wherever you're going to. But maybe just consider, especially if it's, if it's a last minute thing, yeah, you can use your car. If something is something you've pre-planned, maybe think about it in a different way and look at the op- different options. Maybe you could take a bus or maybe you could cycle or maybe you could go to the station and get a train. So maybe that's the action to, to, to take away. Well, it can be quicker sometimes. It sometimes can be quicker. And what I find often with trains, which is great with trains, if you, say for example, if you were to go to Brussels in Belgium, if you wanted to fly there, it would take you as long if you started in the centre of London to get to central Brussels, it would take you longer to fly than it would to get the train. Yeah. Because the train is much quicker yeah. and the train goes from the centre to the centre. Whereas you have to get to Heathrow. Yeah. You have to get to an airport. A couple of hours early. A couple of hours before. Then you might your flight even even if your flight leaves on time, it's only it's about an hour flight, but you've got to do exactly the same thing the other end. And there's also cost involved in that as well. Whereas if you're in a city centre, you could just walk to St Pancras Station, for example, yeah. in London. Yeah. And yeah, that's something to consider. So it's not always the fastest, and quite often it's not always the, always the cheapest way to, to fly or to drive. Because mm. there are other costs, it's not just for fuel costs, but there are also time costs to think consider, I think. So. Go on. No, as you said, did you want to talk? We obviously haven't looked at any, I, I appreciate it's, we're probably 20, 25 minutes, and so no, I, don't I don't want to um, take up more than our, our third of the question. No, 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 <laughs> it, the conversation will go where it goes. Go on. Exactly. One thing we didn't touch on was obviously anything about the environmental impact. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that. Yeah, and yeah. that's a that's a, a huge thing, and that you've got massive names. You've got Emma Thompson. You've got uh, Chris Packham, anti-HS two because of the environmental impact. And that it's it's certainly the right thing to do is to look at every aspect that any project, any infrastructure project, has an effect on the environment. Um, and one of the things that HS two are very proud of, it seems, again, when you look at their um, their Twitter feeds, their website, is their minimization of the impact on every aspect of the environment and there's some wonderful graphics they've done which show you that the the 10 years of design that they've done to try and minimize this impact is really worth looking at um, the entire maths needs looking at uh, not just the construction it's yeah, just the, the the effect pros and cons afterwards and the construction the construction drawing yes <laughs> i haven't said my opinion yet but i'm just playing devil's advocate there but um there's a you've got the pro the pro people and you've got the the against uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle yep like it always is yep always so where's the middle when you when you consider what hs2 will get 470 miles will have an impact on 50 hectares of ancient woodland so 50 hectares so 0.1 hectare per mile we t- everybody talks about this a lot so an impact can be anything from, as you guys are very well aware, noise, mm. um, dust, not not necessarily complete destruction of. And what we don't seem to moan about is Thameslink motorway. 14 miles of motorway has an impact on exactly the same amount of ancient woodland. And yet I don't think anyone's heard, I hadn't heard of the Thameslink motorway mm. until we did this HST video. So mm. 470 miles of railway 14 miles of motorway, what are we moaning the most about? I was going to say, do you remember any... Um, you actually said somebody with a bad memory. <laughs> but when the M40 was extended, there wasn't any real... I mean, there were a few, few people that didn't like it going anywhere near Rockwall, right? But the M40 oh, was no, it was extended. a big uproar. You but, were a nipper. 
Oh, that's true. But do you think there? Do you think there's more now with H2 than there would have been with the M40? If this had been a motorway, a well, road, would it have had the same? Because there's more, there's a higher population in this country now than there was in the mid '80s. So there's more people to make more noise. So. And it's not a case of, of there's more ways of making noise. As well. Yeah, so it's not that's not black. You can't say black and white. Um, there, there was quite a lot of uproar, but as I say, you were but it was you were significantly younger than me. So uh, I remember how much uproar there was on Otmore. You say that's like it's a bad thing, Stuart. No, but the um, <laughs> the the motorway was still built there, wasn't it? Yeah, and then a few months later, there was a fifteen car pileup because it, it, they crashed in fog because they built it through a moor. Yes, but it, was still, why. but it was still built though. It, it was still built. And I don't think, that, from it being decided to be built to actually being built, finished and completed and open, I don't think it was that long, was it? Oh man, it was so quick. Mm. Uh, it happened very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I can't, uh, even though I remember it, I don't remember the cutting going towards London happening. One day it was the, <coughs> the hill, next time it's cutting. You know. Anyway, uh, a point uh, somebody else has raised with me, and I thought this when HS2 first came up, but I don't necessarily believe wholeheartedly this statement now, but Britain doesn't have any fast train lines like this, really, like other countries. Yeah, we're, we're behind a few countries, aren't we, in terms yeah. of yeah, but trains and TGVs. And Germany, if <clears throat> these other countries wanted to... Uh, do stuff now would they be looking to build fast train lines so are we trying to keep up with the joneses would other countries do it again i think other countries certainly from what we've learned do it in stages anyway mm. we're, we're proposing a 470 mile railway built over the next couple of decades mm. i think when uh, for example france do theirs they break it down to portions and they they split the cost they say right, okay well that, that that we're going to do the line from a to b first of all then we're going to build the new stuff the, the the famously quoted extra billions and billions and billions that are being spent on HS2, it's the whole project. It's new stations there, it's the Kersey Street, Birmingham, it's an entire project. It's really difficult to compare. Um, mm. I understand the question, yeah, would, would they do it again? I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about the, mm. the economics of the, of the foreign infrastructure. That's just something that. I used to think it's at the beginning, but I don't necessarily mm. think it... Morocco, no. Morocco have just built their first high-speed line, so yeah. they, are, they are being built. Mm. So the thing I would say against that, or just to challenge that, I should say, is that France, Germany, for example, don't need to because they've already done it. Why would you? It's almost like you don't need to build any more motorways because you've got enough. Yeah, you've got the capacity, and Germany in particular has lots of very good high-speed lines, and they're very well used as well. And the biggest question is, do you guys know where the money comes from? Where the money for HS2 is coming from. No. Because no. again, the massive assumption is, well, shouldn't we be piling this money into the NHS? Shouldn't we be reopening old lines all this money? It's gonna, I reckon it's going to be a lot of <clears throat> Chinese money. It, it's not the taxpayer's money. Mm. Big misconception is it's your money, it's our, our money, it's my money, it's everybody's money. It's not the taxpayer's money. It's not coming from the public fund. It's money from investors borrowed against future economic growth of the actual line itself. He knows all the fit facts. That's why I, <laughs> I'm just, I, just, I, know. I just leave him to That's, it. it so. This is another misconception that is HS2 and, and the oh, 100 billion vanity project. But actually, well, it's not, it's not. If this project didn't go ahead, if the government pulled the plug, the money wouldn't just be sat there in a pot for us to use on something else. Mm. 
I'm surprised somebody hasn't actually got it on the side of a bus yet. Yeah. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting though that um, environmentalists are trying to get people off the roads onto public transport and when HS2 comes along, which is public transport, there's massive protests. Am I the only one who says the irony in that? Yes, there is a massive irony, absolute massive irony. It's really disappointing that we've, for the first time, we've we've got this opportunity to do something with our infrastructure and try and do the the right thing with the environmental considerations and getting people off of, freeing up capacity all over the country on the existing network to get more trains on there, to get people off of the road, and we're not happy with it. For for me, the, uh, the HS2 doesn't go far enough. Uh, the original plan was to have a link between HS1 and HS2, so you could literally have a ma- have a train in Manchester that will be able to go to Europe. Yeah. That was that was, and there was I think there was also a plan to have uh, sleeper trains going from the north of even Edinburgh. And I'm trying to remember what they were called. I think they were called Nightstar. It was yeah. the idea, and they were going to have sleeper trains that you could actually take underneath the Channel Tunnel into Europe. And there's missed opportunities there, I think. Because it gives people the opportunity, and we were talking, I think really what we're talking about with HS2, it gives more people the opportunity, access to railways, and access to railways is democratic because you, you don't need to be able to drive, you can move around, it gives you a lot more mobility. But to give more mobility to more, more destinations just allows for more people to move, more movement of people, more movement of yes. skills, more movement of everything really. Yeah, definitely. And ultimately, yeah, good for the economy, and that potentially aids us all. Yeah, I think I think the main thing is, if you if you've got doubts about what HS two does and what it can do, what it's actually there for, read up, do some research. There's plenty of places online. You know, I don't want to keep on. Not in the newspapers, though. Not in the newspapers, That's no. The but actually, you should go go to HS 2s website. And yes, obviously they're going to give you a pro HS two view, but have a look at their environmental impact. Have a look at um, some some railway engineers, Gareth Dennis. I keep talking about Gareth Dennis, but. Have a look at some of his threads on Railways Explained, where he, yeah, really takes the time to go through all of these points. He goes through all the nitty gritty bits, doesn't so he? Who does he work? Who does he work for? Who's he affiliated with? So, so people are clear the why, where his opinion is coming from. Um, oh God, you, you, you have to look on it on his on his website. He's got his own website. I think he's a consultant for another. He has worked for HS2 in the past. Right. Um, so he's, but he sounds more independent. Yes, I, yeah. I, I'm sure he's a consultant for. Um, various bodies but he is by trade a, a design engineer and works on um he was he was actually according to according to him according to him <laughs> according to what he said um he was the last person to do a design alignment on the great central railway yes for one of the heritage lines that is there he actually did some work for them uh, so basically he as he said i get to play Holby trains one-to-one scale yeah <laughs> but it's definitely worth looking at him and yeah just not, not just Gareth, obviously, just educating yourself on the actual the facts of what it can do mm. um, and what its goal is, rather than... It's long-term effects, though, isn't it? Not just the short-term. Yeah, that's what you were saying earlier, Stuart. It's mm. not just the, the immediate build mm. impact. It's thereafter. Mm. But my, my point of view it is exactly th- th- that. Was, uh, I, my, I was very against to start with because you couldn't get the information. I still can't get the information properly, but because of that, uh, like Brexit, I couldn't make up my mind. So well, in a previous podcast, we said going right to the source, which is often Twitter. Can be, you know, yeah. Because it goes direct to the people 
Yes. On both yeah. sides, yeah. Yeah. it's coming straight from their mouth before anybody else is reported on what they've just twi- uh, tweeted. So it's and a that, that's a really good position to have. I, I really, that's a great position to have on anything like mm. it's, this is potentially as divisive as subjects like this. You know, you're given a vote. You're given mm. a, an, a, 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 mm. a stand to make your opinion. Well, you really need to educate yourself first because mm. you know I'm not an e- economist. I don't mm. know what the the impact of this and that is going to be. So yeah, you know, absolutely educate yourself and make mm. an informed decision on what mm. you find, rather than just yeah sound bites from newspapers and bits and pieces. Yeah. It's a bit of a. That is, that's been a meaty question, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, it's <laughs> great. It's great. What's great as well is the fact that I've got this feeling that the other two questions, my my question and Stuart's yeah. question, are quite long. But maybe the maybe the answer is going to be much shorter. Yeah. But the shortest question has got the maybe provoked yeah. the longest answer. <laughs> okay. The, what I'd like to just throw in there is if anybody listening is li- it lives near the root of the proposed HS two, to send in any images of. Of, of that area and, and tell us do you, what do you think the pros and cons of it would be you know and how to build the information uh, that's out there and I'll, I'll expand on that as well and we always ask this for every podcast is what are you doing right now and where are you right now when you listen to this podcast now we've had somebody who does painting mm. Anna Dillon and uh, Anna Dillon I've got to meet her one day because yeah. she seems to know a lot of people I know that's a small world uh, small yeah. world yeah so what are you doing right now whilst you listen to this podcast. Okay, so how can they send in images of where HS2 will go and how can they send in images of what they're doing right now? Well, there's the email address, isn't there, Stuart? Yeah, but I'll think of that later. Go on. The email address is thepeoplescountryside at gmail.com. You can go to our website, which is thepeoplescountryside.co.uk. If you go to the podcast section, you'll see our most recent upload. Uh, But you can also get in touch with us uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube and Instagram. Okay, so this is the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. The second question is Williams. Away you go. Yeah, mine is much longer, and it but it ties in really quite nicely with what mm. we were already talking about. So, uh, getting more people to use public transport rather than driving is an important step to reducing our individual carbon footprint. However, I wonder, are we now too dependent on the car to ever change that habit? So the real core of this is is, is a habit. I think we we had a, we had an action earlier where it was saying you know think about what how think about what you're doing and think about how you're getting somewhere rather than just relying solely on your car. But yeah, I think some people are so entrenched in using their cars and they refuse to think about alternatives, whether or not those alternatives are quicker, might might keep them fitter, or whether it's better for the environment. Some people are too entrenched to even have this conversation with and um, do you think that uh, I, I would also have this feeling or this opinion that a car is almost seen as a right that you should be able to drive and you can't take it away from somebody it's almost that you're it's, it's impinging on somebody's civil liberties oh you can't take you can't my car away from me. I can't I've got to drive everywhere because it's my right to do that yeah absolutely I, I think as well there's a really good case for things becoming a little bit more socially frowned upon. So, for example, when I was a kid growing up, um, it's not the best analogy I can think of, but I'm trying to get my head around how, what I'm trying to say. It was almost acceptable to drink and drive. And, yeah, it, people came out from the pub and they drove home, they knew they shouldn't. But slowly over a period of time, it became unacceptable. And people would make points of saying something. And as I was a kid growing up, 
you know, I imagine I remember my father telling me that actually, well, no, you don't do that anymore, boy, you don't do that anymore. Making things in that same vein more frowned upon. So, you know, where are you going? Are you going to the shops? Are you going 400 yards to the shops? Are you going to, where are you going in your car? How you could walk that, you could bike that. I think if there was much more of an emphasis socially on looking at managing your small journeys, are you walking to work? Getting that embedded into society is a, it would be a great big step, I think, towards you know getting people out of those habits. Mm. You know, since the, the railways were built 150 years ago, 1840s, 1890s, everybody was given this new freedom of getting on a train. Yeah. Um, come the 1840s, after the World War II, um, everybody was encouraged to go out and drive, and that was an even bigger freedom. So as you say, yeah, for the last 60, 70 years, We've been given this amazing freedom. We can go to any spot in the country we desire in our own time, at our own leisure. And I think now getting people to, to as you said, break that habit mm. and looking at it as a social responsibility, from, our, from my point of view certainly, is where are you going? Are you driving 800 yards to work? Are you driving a mile to work? Are you driving to the shops? And making it a bit more of a, of a conscious action, perhaps. Rebecca, how do you get around? What's your? Well, I don't actually drive. I don't have a driving license, so I've always walked everywhere. So when I was when I was brought up by my mum and dad, uh, we always, handily enough, lived locally. So we lived enough so I could walk to school and back, walk mm. to town and back, walk to the hospital, doctors, dentist, everything it was all walkable. Um, so I've always, and my kids as well, I've always brought them up. They've always walked to school. It's like if it's rain, shine, snow, you name it, you, you walk everywhere. That's so funny. they've all been same, on that. Same for me. I yeah. was, we were saying, I was saying earlier that my family didn't, well, my dad had a car, but my, my mum did not have a car. And so we'd go to work, either like, let's go, go to school, sorry, go to school walking or cycling when we were old enough to have a bike. Or, it, it just became ingrained. In fact, for me, I've, I've never actually really wanted to own a car. I've never had the aspiration to own a car. It's more, I'm more interested in owning a bike. Because that's how I've always grown up. So there's the habit there, isn't there? Yeah. I think yeah. if you grow if you grow up in a family that has always had a car, it's just it's just what you do. You go yeah. to the shops, even if it's like half a mile away, which to a lot of people is a very very long distance, isn't it? Mm. That's what you do. My wife is the same. She she walks. Um, she used to walk about three. She used to work about three and a half miles away from where we live, and she still walked there. Yeah. Because it was part of her getting ready for work and then when she was finishing work it was nice to be able to walk back home and there were varying routes of one route you could she could take along the river in the summer so there are benefits i'm very aware that uh some people out there will see see this societal shift in values as society enforcing new values on them and there will be resistance to that is it though the issue that getting people out of cars or is it better to think about okay people are in their cars should we think about a different resource to drive those cars the different fuel is that the issue should we try to be trying to get people out of cars well the biggest issue with cars for me is the, is the, is the space they take mm-hmm. Our average occupancy of a car is like one it's 1.2 or something like that mm-hmm. so there's a lot it takes up a lot of space compared to how many how, how many people they're moving so there is the there is the obviously the environmental impact uh, be it sound or be it pollution but there's also the impact of the, the capacity so if you've got more people cycling or you had more people walking if you go to the Netherlands for example it, not that they don't have traffic issues but in the city centres it's a lot more of a pleasant environment 
um, it just it just promotes promotes better health and it just promotes a better environment. Okay, so how can we yeah. get uh, promote uh, public transport so it becomes as convenient as driving a car? So what's what's public transport like around where you live? Oh. It's not too bad, I'd say. It's okay, isn't it? It's we're a town of 50,000 people, but actually, there's a lot more than that because they don't include the the villages all around the town. Mm. So, and all the new new build around the town, so it's about eighty thousand. And it's buses, full stop, or if you want to get a train, we've got one line to London. Which is ideal for people who want to go to Basingstoke shopping. Yeah. That's how yeah. I, I take my, my yeah. kids to Basingstoke, we go shopping and you get go from, um, we only live a little way from the train station anyway. Yeah, but it's still a long way from where it should be. If I want to get the bus to work, I would have to get a bus all the way to town and then change the bus, change the bus all the way back out to work, almost in the same direction I've just been in. Uh, there's mm. certainly room for improvement, isn't there? I think there is in a lot of places, though, isn't there? Mm. I think particularly if you think about we've got people who work for us that live in the villages, yeah. and they get yeah. a bus in every single day. But again, I think a lot of this comes down to how the government want to push that aspect. Mm. Yeah, I think I read a thing that said 50% of cars on the road are company cars. You think, okay, well, I've got a company car myself, and I'm very much led by what is best for me tax-wise, personally. And now, yeah, I will now be considering a much lower CO2 a hybrid or something like that. So that's a government-led decision almost, which is the biggest incentive for me. I could save a few hundred pounds a month if I have that car. So that's what I will be doing next time around, for example. I remember a scheme um, when I was working and there was a scheme, it was a, it was a bike scheme, buying the bike scheme. So you actually, it was, again, it was a tax relief thing that you actually got See a decent amount of money off a bike mm. and it actually incentivised a lot of people to go out and buy, their bike, buy a bike so yeah. it meant that more people would then be potentially cycling to work so yeah. it's like that's, an incentive, that's the incentive yeah. that really should be out there right and that happened about 15 years ago now so that sounds really good I mean that's almost good. like a, a, re, re, a recession I think the last time in, in, everyone in Japan was given a thousand pounds in vouchers to go and spend so it would have a boost the economy I think mm. imagine if you give them some kind of bike voucher where you had to spend on the bike? It, it, it was taken, it was almost like it was a deduction off of my wages, minus, but the, the, the tax was taken off of it. Yeah. So I basically got, yeah. the, I got the bike tax free in, yeah. in some respects. Um, but it meant I got a £350 bike for maybe about 200 Yeah. And it was because the cost was spread over 12 months, 12, I, think it was, I think it was 12 months or maybe 18 months. I didn't even even notice yeah, it because it was only it was like a, the cost of cost of a, a meal a month or something mm. like that you know mm. it, it just didn't even notice it so that's an incentive isn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah you kind of need some more things like that yeah in a previous yeah. podcast we spoke about uh, community making a difference I'm just thinking about all these petrol heads out there who's I'm not going to not drive I'm going to keep driving no matter what what you do. But they moan about how much congestion there is, so it infects their enjoyment of being a petrol head. Is it the whole, whole idea of, oh, look at this traffic? Mm. Actually, no, you're the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> you're in it. Yeah. So is there room for, if people, most of the journeys are, are, are spent either going shopping or going to work, why don't we actually give people lifts so there's fewer cars on the road? We're talking about car sharing. Well, not car share schemes, but car sharing, yeah. Mm. I mean, that, that, that actually doesn't... Even if you don't want to help the environment, it's going to make your enjoyment of being a petrol head better because there's more room. You can put your foot down more and drive quicker. <laughs> get there quicker and get home. 
don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. And let's leave a nice bit of silence after that. <laughs> <laughs> to let, to let, to let, that start, let that sink in. Yeah. Okay, is there any more on that, that one? Yes, yeah, that's definitely, mm. that question's petered out far more than your, your question. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So what, what, do, we, do we have an action for that particular? Is it similar to the first one, where you, again, it's just asking yourself that question about, okay, I'm going from A to B, I always go by car, are there any alternatives? Can you just literally walk? I would say that if the weather's good and you're walking with somebody and walking with somebody you know very well, a mile is not very far because you soon... What I, before you know it. What I find actually is when I'm walking with my wife is we talk a lot, when we're, a lot more when we're walking yeah. than we do when we're sat here. Yeah, you can't walk next to her because her arms go that way. No, that's only when she's walking on her own. Oh. Um, uh, that's a long story. Mm. But the, you, you talk a lot more. And you also talk about things that you plan a lot more, I find, when you're walking. But a mile is not as far as you think it is. It's about 20 minutes yeah. to walk. I think habit, habit is the key word, isn't yeah. it? I think in, your, in, the, in the question you've asked, habit is the breaking your daily routine. You've got to want to yeah, do it, I think, haven't you? So there needs to be... Like I said, an incentive of some variety yeah. to try and push you more than what you would probably do. Once you've started it, as we were talking about off air before, once you've got an idea, once you've started something, you yeah. carry on with it. Yeah. But you've just got to get that started. So once you decide to look, oh, is the train easier or is the bus easier or can I walk that? Once you start doing it, once you've done it a couple of times, it just be that becomes the habit. And sometimes it's, I, I like the use of easy, but it can also just be the same as. Mm. You know, if it takes you 20 minutes to drive somewhere, it could also take you 20 minutes on the bus. Mm. But the great thing about going on the bus is that it will only take you 20 minutes mostly. If you drive, it might take you 20 minutes. Sometimes it might take you 15, and other times it might take you half an hour because you're looking for parking space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging, those, challenging those, those habits. Okay, so that was the second question. Uh, how can people support us, William, if they're enjoying this podcast, these podcasts? Yeah, if you're enjoying these podcasts and you would like to support the work that we're doing and our wider work as well, we are on Patreon, uh, patreon.com uh, forward slash the people's countryside. Uh, go and have a look on there. Um, what's the smallest amount that people can... Well, it's, it's almost like the price of the dollars, isn't it? It's almost like the price of a cup of coffee. Yeah. So have one less cup of coffee a week. And um, why not? Why not? Why not support us? At the moment, it says dollars on the thing because, uh, but it's converted when you put put your current your. We're really recording this in the United States, aren't we? Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> and uh, so backroom ports of carbon footprint have been terrible. Huge. <laughs> but I heard the other day that Patreon are changing something, uh, so each country it shows up as their own currency. Yeah, because originally Patreon are an American based organisation. Are you familiar with Patreon? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah we, we have Patreon, Patreon, as, well, yeah. Patreon as well. Yeah. Do you want to mention your Patreon as well? We're, we're fine. Yeah, that's okay. We're, yeah, we're under every disused station. So patreon.com forward slash, if that's how it works, yeah. every disused station. Yeah. Have you been um, able to find every disused station? We're, we're, <laughs> we're getting through them, we're getting through them. Did you, did you um, going off, on, off topic here, did you get to see where the Horsepath Holt was? Uh, yes, that was just the southern side of the bridge, wasn't it? I think. Yes, and you can still see where the ramp is, because oh, we went up there. The, the whole though... There's two, wasn't there? There was not in the same place. So one was one side of the bridge, and the latest one was the other side. So that counts as two disused stations on our list. Yeah. And our list is 6,800 disused stations yeah. in the country. What's about Holt moved? 
Yeah. Okay. No, we didn't. We, we were just looking for the tunnel. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the third question is mine. This. Okay, you really need to sort this chair out. You look very happy about that, Stuart, then. Uh, right, you, no, you, I'm you just quite, trying to stay away. Got a question. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Lowering the CO2 footprint and not aiming for zero emissions is said to influence us to have a business as usual attitude. Would what would life look like and what would it feel like if we really did live in a in a society that produced zero, zero carbon emissions? Well, I think I think maybe from my point of view, maybe because I read too much science fiction, I see all this sort of utopia, everything you know, sunny. You know, you can just go wherever you want, wherever you feel. It's just like, it's just, I've got that look, that, that feel in my, you know. That's the what perfect it like. image. The perfect, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, everyone's happy, you know, not on drugs. But, you know, everyone's really happy. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, that's the image that comes into my mind. And, and being more serious, I suppose. Do, do, do most people really understand, in this room here, do you really understand what carbon footprint actually means? Um, my interpretation would be it's... Yeah, but how, how much CO2 your life is producing. That's your, your carbon footprint. That's my, again, yes. reasonably uneducated. Um, we had Martin Gibson, I think, was yeah. brought up a CO2 question in, I think, episode two, didn't he? I think, episode two, three. Uh, two. You're the one who remembers the order. And we drilled down into the CO2, or into, into a carbon footprint, and it was amazing how much you don't, realize how much carbon you're producing you you think directly of like how you travel and what you consume but how are things manufactured how are things mm -hmm. are built um one thing i heard recently the one one of the biggest contributors to your carbon footprint is having lots of emails is sat there in your inbox okay 50, you have fifty thousand emails in your inbox yeah that's been held on a server somewhere which has to be powered wow so it's like there it's a it feels like it's you scratch the surface and you just get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like it's almost mm. like Alice in Wonderland, you know, going yeah. down the tent, the rabbit hole, isn't it? It goes so deep. So talking about a carbon footprint, it's almost it's not understandable. You can't. You can't oh, I was at a, 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 a council event in Manchester with Bodger Brown, Ian Bodger Brown, who gets a second mention. Was that near the Roman ruins? Near the, near the Roman. We're too far from the Roman ruins. Right. Um, another long story. Very long story. And uh, ask the man with the pink trousers. Well, no, at, least, um, at least nobody had an accident. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what we're talking about. No, so no, just inside jokes. <laughs> uh, the things you do when you make this podcast. Anyway, I was at this thing in Manchester, and the council was saying Andy Burnham. It was he was the the mayor of Manchester. There's massive amounts of building work going on. I went into Manchester on the train a little while ago, and I counted. 67 separate cranes building in East Manchester alone. Hasn't it got the nickname of Manhattan or something yeah. like that? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, they were saying that all these buildings were, were low in carbon, the way they were being built and stuff. And they were talking about breaking the country down in geographical area because you, you have your own target. So once you meet that, that's fine. But Manchester's important from... Kings Lynn and other places, materials to build uh, their their buildings, that's not being factored into the Manchester total. That's coming out of the Kings Lynn one. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, so if Kings Lynn want to build anything, they can't because they've used up all their all their uh, carbon allowance, sending the materials so Manchester can build. 
So you can't really break it down geographically, but it really is a can of worms. So you're effectively moving the goalposts yeah. to fit your own... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just almost impossible to get your head around the maths. So, so do you think carbon footprint then is the thing we should be discussing? Should it be more um, how we just, how we live, you know, how we affect who the, pe the people around us, whether it's by what we're producing, the pollution we're producing directly, mm. potentially, or, well, or just maybe living just more lo far more locally than we already are, the global localism that we've talked about. Yeah. The, 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 this thing about uh, what would life look like if we were on what we lived with zero carbon emissions I don't think we can even comprehend what it would look like no that's the reason why I thought that's utopia not possible ever. yeah utopia is a good way of putting it presumably it's impossible presumably if you you plug something into a plug socket now your carbon footprint is X because also where the energy has come from the electricity yeah. has come from a coal-fired power station, a nuclear power station, or, or gas, maybe not quite so much in this country, but um, surely if it was produced from renewables, would that lower your carbon? Again, this is a question I'm asking you guys, I don't know. Would, is, is that effectively lowering your carbon footprint? Well, it reminds the conversation that we had with Chloe, because mm. your, your question in that one was about what is the carbon in footprint of this podcast? So yeah. we, we discussed that, and that was an interesting conversation. And the first question that Chloe had asked was, Am I on a green tariff? And the answer was yes, I am. I'm on. We're on. We, we the, the provider we have for our, our gas and electricity are a green supplier. Okay. So you can take a step in that direction when it comes yeah. to carbon footprint. But it's like, it feels like it's just a small thing still, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I, I'm not trying to make the point to sort of take the onus off of your own sort of responsibility. Right. Okay. Just more, you know, that's how does that how does that factor in? So I guess that that would be a really good point. But that green supplier, when you actually look at the infrastructure and the way they, they staff their business, they might not be that great themselves because yeah, they might have lots of people who are commuting for miles in cars. To and, and, it, and the electricity we're getting is not from that supplier. Mm. They're, just, mm -hmm. they're just the agent. What does it mean? What is a green tariff? So a green tariff is you're basically you're a, a, a company that actually put their money into... Um, renewable sources okay. of electricity. Yeah. So the more you invest in that, the more renewable potential, a potential there will be. Yeah. So you, we're still getting, well, we're probably still getting most of our electricity from Digcot B, which is a gas power. Right. It was coal till maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, Because the coal one's now gone. Yeah. But the, the, the place that's still there is, is electric, and I think we're probably still getting a lot of our electricity from that in Oxfordshire. I've no idea what the percentage is in this country. But then we don't know because it's, it's coming from, it's on the grid, on the national grid, so it obviously comes from all over the place, yeah. so it can come from some renewables. In Oxford there are quite a lot of really good um, renewable energy um, um, generators, so there's a couple on the River Thames, there's one at Osney and there's one at uh, Sanford which is Archimedes screw, which will generate electricity, but it probably only generates electricity for really, for the very, very hyper-local 4,000, 5,000 local right. houses. Um, there's the anabaric, anabaric place up in 
Um, Ardley, I think it is. Anabaric. Is it anabaric? What's the what's the word? Oh, anaerobic. 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 Biomass. That sort of thing. Yeah. Anaerobic. I know it very well, but yeah, actually, huge guest. Yeah, yeah. That is. I've just thought of a really bad joke by Milton Jones, but I'm not going to say it. But the they they create that creates electricity as well. So there are that is happening, but I think. You don't know where you, your electricity will come from all the different sources. It's just a matter of you putting your money into the pot of a renewable source, renewable energy yeah. company, it'll just boost that up and you'll have more renewable energy. I think it's something like, a, is it about a quarter of the electricity? Or a third of the electricity in the UK? Is if anybody is listening to this and think we've got a hamster spinning a wheel in the corner driving our electricity, <laughs> it's not. It's somebody upstairs doing the washing up. And they go quiet at that point. Yeah, so, yeah, you'll never, if, if you're... Now, if you're a long-term listener to this podcast, um, God help you, <laughs> get a life. You'll you'll often hear different noises because we are predominantly recording this in my flat, and it can be a local neighbour, it can be a truck reversing outside because there's a council depot not far from here. But sometimes you might you might hear my cat as well. At the moment, she's not allowed in the room because she was making too much noise. Back to the question, William. Be professional. <laughs> oh, I can't be professional. Okay. Um, if if we did go for try for a carbon uh, zero carbon uh, situation or try to reduce our carbon footprint, would that lead to more tribalism? People being insular, being protective, saying, "Well, they're affecting uh, our footprint if we get involved with them." Uh, so we're we're going to just work work in isolation. Could could that transpire and have a negative impact on the whole thing? It's a philosophical argument. It's very philosophical, isn't it? I think... Um, when you're at the hospital in the morning, <laughs> waiting, you, you think about this stuff. Yeah, I think... I think largely people are motivated by surviving, living, economics, their income. And I think when you in- incentivise people in the right way, it does do good. And obviously then, I think, certainly people are motivated by doing the right thing, ethically as well. Um, but... Will it, oh, too philosophical for my head. Yeah. <laughs> Mine as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you know. You're listening. You know. Get. How can they contact us with a voice message, William? Uh, you can go on to anchor.fm forward slash the people's countryside, and there is a place where you can actually leave a voicemail message there. You can leave. A, you can leave a question, or you can leave a comment. If there is some particular question you'd like us to go back to, say if there's a, a favourite of yours from a previous podcast episode as well. Let us know, and uh, who knows, we might discuss it in a future episode, Stuart. Yeah, so we've been the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. I've been me. You've been you. You've been you. Who've been our guests? (laughs) (laughs) We've been Paul and Rebecca Whitewick. And who are Paul and Rebecca Whitewick? So, yeah, we um, wander around the country filming... um, Generally abandoned railways, but also we like we like human geography, don't we? So we look at old routes, old ancient routes, and, and railways. Yeah. So they have a look at our YouTube channel, which is under Whitewick's Abandoned Railways on YouTube, obviously. And do you find the roads, the Roman roads, by getting the ruler out and go, that's straight enough, so it must be a Roman road? Pretty much. Yeah. Our last video uh, was how to one. find one with a marker pen, which didn't is just that. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you see the picture? Yeah. Okay, thank you for listening. We will be back. Who will be in our next guest, William? Do we have a next guest? No, we Stuart. don't have one lined up. No. So we could be up. We could, you could be the guest, Stuart. Me? Oh, no. 
you'd have to talk but talk to like two people yeah no no no, no we currently currently don't have a guest lined up um we are approaching a multitude of different people yeah so it's basically first come first serve darling yep so yeah thanks very much for listening and look forward to the next episode <laughs>